The scripture reading for today is Revelations 21, verse 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for those words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord. morning. I'm Mike Stroh, one of the pastors here. Let me add my word of welcome to everyone this morning on this anniversary Sunday, and especially if you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad you're here. If you're here with us in the sanctuary or joining us online, it's our privilege to worship together. At this time, kids can be dismissed, kindergarten through sixth grade, to the meadow for their class as we turn to God's word. I'm going to make five statements. I'm going to make five statements, and they all have one thing in common. I want you to try to think about what it is. Walt Disney created Mickey Mouse. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Your blood is blue when it's in your veins. Lightning never strikes the same place twice. And we have five senses. Anybody know what those five statements have in common? They're myths. They're either partially or completely untrue. Walt Disney took the credit for creating Mickey Mouse, but it was actually his lifelong friend, Ub Iwerks. Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb in the traditional sense. About 20 other inventors had patents before he did. His contribution was to make it commercially viable, to vastly improve the existing technology. So his contribution is incredible, but he didn't actually invent the light bulb in the sense we usually think of. Raise your hand if you were ever taught in school that your blood is blue before it's oxygenated. Anybody ever? I see some hands. Okay. I remember a third grade teacher telling us that. And then I had a science teacher in fourth grade who debunked that and completely and said that's completely untrue. So school was a very confusing time for me. <laughs> Didn't know who to believe. But we can dispel that myth once and for all this morning. Your blood is never blue. Okay? Your blood is never blue. And if it is, you should probably talk to your doctor. The veins you can see in your skin look blue because of the way your skin absorbs And reflects wavelengths of light. Lightning does in fact strike the same place twice. Sometimes even during the same storm. The top of the Empire State Building for example. Gets struck about 23 times a year. 
And we don't only have five senses, we have more than five. Those scientists aren't completely agreed on how many. And one of them is not seeing dead people, in case you were wondering. But scientists say we have at least a few more than five, like our sense of orientation in space, our sense of temperature, our sense of balance. The thing about myths is that even though there's evidence to the contrary, even proof to the contrary, a lot of myths just stick. They're passed along, and for some reason they stay with us. Now, those five statements I made, those five myths are mostly harmless, right? They don't really affect our daily lives all that much. Again, unless your skin is blue, or your blood is blue, then you have a problem. This morning, we're going to talk about some myths that do affect our lives. Those are myths about heaven. The Bible tells us that our future hope is supposed to impact how we live now. See, so if we get the destination wrong, it's going to affect the journey, isn't it? If we get the destination wrong, we're bound to make some wrong turns along the way. Because what we believe about heaven affects our daily lives, whether we know it or not. Continue in our series on heaven. If you haven't been with us, we've seen that heaven is a sure promise of God. We've seen that the resurrection of Jesus is central to our future hope. And last week we saw that God will renew creation with a new heavens and a new earth. Now the Bible says more than we often think it does about heaven. But many of us either don't know what it says or we hang on to some really big misconceptions, some myths. I wonder it doesn't impact us more now. But let me say up front, if you have believed or do believe any of the myths that we cover this morning, don't be discouraged. As we've been saying all along, the truth is better. Heaven will not be less than we imagine. It will be far greater. So let's jump into five common myths about heaven, and let's see how the truth should change us. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Our Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness to this church for the last 44 years. We give you thanks for this morning as we gather for worship. Speak to us now from your word. Enliven our hearts with the hope of heaven for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Myth number one. Myth number one. Heaven will be boring. Heaven will be boring. In the novel Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, Huck is resisting the efforts of Miss Watson, a Christian woman, to civilize him. Huck is narrating and he says, Now she went on and told me all about the good place. He's talking about heaven, not the TV show, The Good Place. She said all the body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. And then Huck says, so I didn't think much of it. Doesn't this just so perfectly capture so many people's ideas of heaven? Even a lot of Christians have this idea. Nothing to do but play harps and sing forever and ever. And so like Huck, we maybe don't think much of it. If that's anywhere close to our concept of heaven, no wonder we're not excited to go there. 
And because the Bible talks about how we'll praise God in heaven, there's this idea that we seem to think heaven will be this never-ending church service. How does that sound? Be honest. Some of you can't even make it through a 25-minute sermon, okay? We're talking about eternity here. Where do we get this idea that heaven will be boring? It's certainly not from Scripture. Did you hear it in the call to worship? The prophet Isaiah, centuries before Christ, said this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. How many of you like to eat? How many of you like to eat? I do. I want you to think for just a moment of the very best meal you've ever had. I know that's dangerous to say during a sermon to make you hungry, but we got lunch afterwards, so you'll be okay. But think for a moment about your absolute favorite meal you've ever had. Think of your favorite food in all the world. Is there anything boring about that to you? God says heaven will be better. A couple verses later, Isaiah says, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. So in heaven there will be no more death, no more sorrow. In other words, heaven is going to have everything good, and it's not going to have anything bad. Then the prophet says, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Yeah, you think, Isaiah? Who wouldn't have joy thinking about a place like this? Well, us, it seems, from time to time, if we're honest. If we fall for this myth that heaven is boring. See, this myth is dangerous because, for one thing, it robs us of joy. The kind of joy that Isaiah was pointing us to. And that's not all. Author Randy Alcorn writes that thinking heaven will be boring betrays a heresy that God is boring. God made our taste buds, adrenaline, the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains, our imaginations, and our capacity for happiness and excitement. See, this myth betrays not just an ignorance of Scripture, but it shows how easily we buy into the lie that God is holding out on us That what we really want most in this life or the next is found outside the presence of God. And that's really the lie behind all human sin, isn't it? That God isn't enough. And we fall for this myth even as believers. Because in this fallen world, maybe we have such a limited capacity to imagine something so good. So God gives us these little glimpses in Scripture of what it will be like to stir up our imaginations, what we will taste in heaven, as Isaiah tells us, what we will see. The passage we heard in the Scripture reading, turn to Revelation chapter 21 if you have a Bible or on your device. Revelation chapter 21. Isaiah gave us a glimpse of what we will taste. John gives us a glimpse here of what we will see. Look at verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Just take a moment to imagine this. 
And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Think about the most beautiful place on earth you've ever been. Is there anything boring about that place? Heaven will exceed that beauty. The beauty that we see here is just a glimpse of the beauty we will see there. Scripture tells us a little bit about what we will do in heaven. And it's not sitting around playing harps all day. We will worship, yes. We will work without the effects of the curse. We will reign with Christ. Much of what we love to do here and now will continue and be even better. Now, in a future sermon, we're going to talk a lot more about what we will do, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. But most importantly, heaven will not be boring because of who will be there. Look at verse 3 of the same chapter, Revelation 21. The Apostle John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The best part about heaven is that we will be with God forever. That's almost impossible for us to imagine what that will actually be like. But let me remind us that this is the relationship we were created for. David understood this when he wrote in Psalm 16, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if we in this broken world can get a taste of that here and now, imagine how much more that will be true in his presence. So let's be honest this morning. Let's call this idea that heaven will be boring what it is. A myth and a lie. Randy Alcorn captures it this way. He said, since the resurrection awaits God's children, we haven't passed our peak happiness and never will. There's no need for bucket lists because our new universe adventures will far exceed this life's. We really will live happily ever after, and that's not wishful thinking. It's the blood-bought promise of Jesus. Myth number two. We will live forever as souls without bodies. We will live forever as souls without bodies. Now, I won't say a lot on this one because we covered this in our second sermon of our series, but this myth is so pervasive, it's so damaging, that we have to repeat it. This idea that the immortal part of us is our soul, and then when we die, we will drift up and be in heaven with God in that state forever. But that's not at all the Christian hope. That's not at all what Scripture teaches us. The Christian hope hinges on the resurrection, both of Jesus and us. Keep your finger in Revelation 21 and flip over for just a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus rose bodily from the dead and his promise is that we will follow him in resurrection one day. We will have new bodies not subject to sickness and decay and death. What does Paul say? Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
then those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul leaves no room for this myth. Without the resurrection, we not only have an incomplete picture of heaven, but we don't even have Christianity. We don't even have our faith. Look down at verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. This is a promise. We will not live forever without bodies. And we will not be angels. Sometimes you hear at a funeral, well, God just needed another angel. God doesn't need more angels. God created us human beings, body and soul, together. And so we will be for eternity at the resurrection of the dead. See, these myths can completely skew our perspective and they wither our hope. We accept the lies that heaven will be this distant, fuzzy, otherworldly kind of place that we have no connection to whatsoever. Who would long for that? But the Christian hope is that we will be more human there, not less. Myth number three. Our hope is escaping this world to go off to heaven. Our hope is escaping this world and going to heaven. There's an old hymn that I used to sing growing up in our church that said, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Have you ever heard that song? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. See, on our way to heaven, this myth says, we're just passing through. Or are we? Is that what the Bible teaches us? See, just like the last myth rejects the physical body, this one rejects physical life here. This is in part because the Bible tells us not to love the world. But that's not talking about planet Earth. It's talking about the sin in the world. It's talking about the sinful systems that oppose Christ. See, sin and evil are what the Christian isn't supposed to feel at home in. We're not supposed to reject this planet this physical life altogether. Well, now, what about Paul telling us we're citizens of heaven? Doesn't that mean we're citizens there and not here? And what about believers who have died now? Don't they go off to heaven, away from here? Well, yes, they do. But that's not our eternal destiny. Flip back to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. As we heard last week, the believer's ultimate future hope is living in a new heaven and a new earth. See, heaven is coming down to us. We are citizens of heaven Yes, but one day heaven will be joined to earth. This myth about escaping this life has led some Christians to think that our job is just to wait it out. 
until we go to heaven or until Jesus comes back. It's led others to ignore all the physical needs around us as if people's souls are the only thing that matters. But God calls us again and again in Scripture to engage in this life, to serve the materially poor, to serve the vulnerable, to work for human flourishing as part of our proclamation of the gospel. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, as citizens of heaven, we're called to be part of God's kingdom building now. We're called to bring just a little bit of heaven to earth while we wait for the day when he will bring it in fullness. Because our hope is not ultimately to escape this world and go off to some distant heaven. Our hope is that Jesus will return and bring heaven with him. Myth number four. Focusing on heaven is a distraction from real issues now. Focusing on heaven is a distraction from real issues now. Now this myth connects to the last one. In the sense of how our lives here connect with heaven. Maybe you've heard some people say religion is just wishful thinking, right? Focusing on tomorrow so you don't have to worry about today. And nobody captured this myth maybe better than John Lennon in his song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. That's a really catchy song. I see some of you tempted to start singing it right now. But the message is simple, isn't it? If we could only get rid of God, if we could only get rid of religion, we could finally have peace and harmony. Because that always works out so well in human history, hasn't it? See, without having to worry about heaven, we could actually live for today. We could get things done. We could have peace. We could focus on the moment. But of course, this is a myth. If heaven is one day coming down to earth, then Christians should have more motivation than anyone to live for today. The reformer Martin Luther is often quoted as saying, If I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would plant a tree. Speaking of myths, it's doubtful he actually ever said that, but it's a great statement either way. It's a statement of faith that the end of the world is actually just the beginning. That that sapling you would plant would grow into eternity in the new earth. As Bible scholar Jason Biasi said, deeds of hope begun now will flower in eternity. This is not escapist hope. It is hope to get your hands dirty for. See, heaven isn't a distraction from living for today. It's the lens we need to look through to live today rightly. After telling us about our resurrection bodies and what what they will be like, what does Paul say? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What does Peter say? The end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be self-controlled. Keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality. Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Believer, your future hope is heaven. Therefore, therefore work to the best of your ability at school tomorrow morning, at work tomorrow, because your work matters. And then take time to rest because it's about building Christ's kingdom, not yours. Therefore, look around you with new eyes at the sphere of influence that God has placed you to uniquely bring a little bit of heaven to that situation, to that place of brokenness, to that person you know who needs the hope of the gospel. Therefore, use your gifts to build up the body. Dig into what God is doing in the church. Share his love with those who need it. Therefore, plant a tree. You get the idea. And lastly, myth number five. We get to heaven by being good. Myth number five, we get to heaven by being good. Of all the myths about heaven we've considered this morning, the last one here is probably the most dangerous because it's about how you get there. If you're old enough to remember life without smartphones, you might remember what it was like to have to stop at a gas station in the middle of nowhere and ask for directions. How many remember that? Okay, I see some, see some hands. Or maybe you've been on a trip in recent memory somewhere and there's no cell service. And you're lost. You've got no map. What do you do? We're so reliant on smartphones these days, we might be tempted to pull over to the side of the road and curl up in a fetal position. But there are other options. We could find someone who knows the way and ask for directions. Now, we started our series on heaven with a look at Jesus' promise of heaven in John 14. Thomas says to Jesus, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus came from heaven to show us the way to heaven. Pay very close attention to Jesus' answer. Thomas asks him point blank how to get there. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, oh, Thomas, you're a good guy. Don't worry, you'll find your way there. He doesn't say, Thomas, just follow your heart. He doesn't say, Thomas, all roads lead to heaven. What does he say? I am the way. See, if we honestly want to know how to get to heaven, we won't listen as much to the prevailing current opinions of our day or the politically correct answer. We go to the one who knows the way and we ask for directions. No matter how often we say that salvation is by grace alone, This myth still persists, even in the church. That when we die, we'll stand before St. Peter at the pearly gates, and you know, if our good works outweigh the bad, then he'll open up the gates and let us in. Because it's human nature to keep drifting back to this mindset, isn't it? That anything we want, we can achieve. We have a part in obtaining. But if that were true, then why did Jesus come? 
See, Paul says in Galatians that if we could be made right with God through obedience, he says, then Christ died for no purpose. Those are strong words. And in Ephesians, he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to know that he is the way. You need to know that he made the way for us through his death and his resurrection. And so we need to put aside the myths that we may believe and receive the gift. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're here, if you're joining us online, you can have the hope of heaven today. And for the believer, we don't need Jesus just to get to heaven. We need Jesus every day to live in light of heaven. Only with his provision and the work of the Spirit in us can we keep our hope before us with all the struggles, with all the trials and the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow all around us. Only with his provision can we experience a true and lasting peace and a true and lasting joy no matter what is going on around us. And only with his provision, with his strength, can we serve to bring a little bit of heaven to where God has put us. So consider for just a moment, where is your heart this morning? Maybe one or more of these myths have been robbing you of the joy that is yours in Christ, of the hope, the true hope that is yours. Maybe some of the things of the world have taken your eyes off of our future hope. The promises of God feel distant. They feel disconnected from you right now. Ask the Spirit of God to stir you up to see clearly. To embrace the hope of heaven. To begin living in light of eternity with peace and joy. Hear these words again from Revelation 21. Maybe this time through a new lens. Let's hear these words with imagination. If it helps, close your eyes. But let the truth of God's word reach into your heart, the truth that cuts through the myths, that cuts through the lies we're so tempted to believe. The Apostle John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's put aside the myths and embrace this truth that is trustworthy and true. Let's pray together. Our Father, we give you thanks for the sure hope of heaven. 
We thank you for the truth of your word, the promises of Jesus that cut through the myths and the lies we believe. We thank you for not leaving us in the dark. We thank you for not leaving us to go our own way in our sin. You sent your son to show the way and to be the way when we had no way. So help us be a people that live as citizens of heaven here and now. Help us work and serve and love one another in light of your promise to one day make all things new. For the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.